Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Today, I literally have entitled this message, Understand. Because to me, this is the key to every single thing. If you have your Bibles, whether it be a paper copy, whether it be an electronic copy, whether it be on your phone or whatever, turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to land in verse 21, but I need to set this up and give you some background. We've been going a little bit deeper in some of these messages, and so I want to give you a heads up of what's about to take place. The Sermon on the Mount is an amazing thing that most people misunderstand. They think it's Jesus telling everybody what they should or should not do, and that's really not what he was doing. What Jesus was doing on the Sermon on the Mount was he was simply trying to let people understand that what they are seeing religious leaders do may not be what is called to be done as far as a follower of Jesus. He was not coming to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And unfortunately, people were very consumed with how the religious leaders were telling them to do and how they acted. So the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus telling this crowd that had gathered of what they could expect and what they should do. I don't have time to go into all the different parts of it. If you want to go back a few weeks ago, I did that. I think it was about three weeks ago, and you can go to the podcast. But today I want to get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he actually gives you three warnings because he's talking about this, these actions that should be in your life, and then he ends with three amazing warnings. You're not going to see all of them on the screen. We're going to dive into one particular one. But the first warning that he gets to at the end, and you've seen this, you've heard it before. He says, I warn you to be careful of false prophets because they are like, what, wolves in sheep clothing. And he says, you will know them by their fruits. That's one of the things he talks about. Then he talks about this concept of of be careful of, of people that have like a false confession. We're going to come back to that one. And then he ends with this last warning of a false foundation. He says, for those people that hear my words and act upon them, they are as a wise man that built his house on the rock. And when the winds come and the storms hit, it will not fall. But those who do not heed these words, do not do what I say, he is like somebody, a fool is the word he uses, that builds his house on the sand. And when the winds come and the storms come, the house will fall and great is the fall. He's talking about this false foundation. So he talks about these three things, a a false prophet, a false confession, and a false foundation. And he gives you warnings. It's like he takes the Sermon on the Mount, and he ends with trying to give them three things to be careful of. Well, the thing that I want to dive into today that I think is so misunderstood is that aspect of a false confession. Because I believe that most people really struggle with what God has called them to do and what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I need you to bear with me, because I know for a lot of you, you're going to think, okay, here we go. This is like Bible school all over again. We hit this back when I was like, you know, eight in vacation Bible school. No, we're going to go a little bit deeper than that, and I need you to track with me, because I think there's a moment that's for all of us. I don't mind sharing with you this was really already planning and had everything ready, but it really hit me emotionally this week. Because I was able to spend time with a friend, and we were grieving, and we were doing some things. And, and, you know, nobody wants to get to the end of life or to the end of one of their family or friend's life and question whether or not they know where they're going. And it just made me, I mean, I've, I've, I've never been more burdened. Yesterday I was talking to Amy, and she said, is everything okay? I was like, yeah, I'm just, 
I'm just burdened. I wasn't burdened for anything that was going on yesterday. I was burdened for this message today because, because I really do love you guys. And I thought, you know, I don't want you to, at the end of the day, for me to never talk to you and ask you one simple question. Do you know? Like talking about misunderstanding, I, I, just, I just want you to know. You say, what do you want me to know? Well, let's get into God's word. You ready? Let's start in verse 21. You'll see the scriptures on the screen. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The first thing I want you to get is that the first concept is actions are going to be louder than words. We ever heard that before? He is literally telling a group of people, he's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving them this warning, this warning that not everybody that confesses with their mouth and says, Lord, Lord, is actually a person that will enter the kingdom of heaven, that there is something that has to take place. It's more than just saying with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. There's something else that has to accompany that confession. Now, please don't mishear me. Scripture is also very clear that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then you shall be saved. For out of a man's confession comes repentance. But there's this concept there that it's more than just talking about something. There has to be something that, that is quickening you, that, that's moving you forward. There's a belief that comes. And, and if you believe in something, it usually starts to, to resonate in you and, and find itself coming up into your actions. And that's what he's talking about. He says, let me say this again. I'm just going to read straight from God's word. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, here's something I need you to catch. This is where most people get misunderstood. They will take this scripture and they will leverage it saying, uh-huh. See, you, you've got to do something to have a relationship with Jesus. And that's not what this is saying. In fact, I'll dive into that when we get to the end of this. But this is not about you acting a certain way or, or doing certain things. What it is talking about is a true concept of repentance and the fact that Jesus Christ, when he becomes Lord of your life, it should change you. And this aspect of the will of my Father is a very intriguing concept. Can I give you a little bit of, of my preparation and study over the years? In God's word, and if you want to write this down, feel free. In God's word, the aspect of the will of God shows up in two main categories. And a lot of times we get them confused. There's the will of God, like when Jesus was in the garden, right? He says, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thine. That will of God is talking about the sovereignty of God. In other words, God is completely in control. And God has an ultimate will for all of us. And though we have the ability to make choices, we have a free will. When it's all said and done, God's sovereignty and him being in charge, and I use that word very loosely, him being all-powerful, his will is a sovereign will. A lot of times we get that confused when we read this because we think that's what it's talking about. There's also a second concept that Scripture when it talks about the will of the Lord. It's the aspect of, of the will that God has that he's commanded you to do certain things. We call it the will of command. In other words, like what you see right here. It says what? Can I read it one more time? You'll see the scripture. But the one who does the will of my father 
who is in heaven. It's the aspect of a submission to do what he has commanded you to do. Like there's a point of it where there's some actions into it. The sovereign will of God, you can't do anything about it. God is the ultimate authority. He is completely in control. And he has a plan for you. The only thing that you can do with that part of the will of sovereignty is you can reject or you can accept. If you reject and never have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then eternal damnation in hell. If you accept, then he gives you the ability to have freedom that comes through Christ and for every eternity with him in heaven. But when it comes to this will of the Lord, as far as what he's commanding you to do, the word you're looking at is the word called obedience. And for a lot of us, we struggle with this concept because we're trying to do things to earn God being the Lord of our life. And the reality is, is we don't need to earn anything for him to be the Lord of our life. But because he's the Lord of our life, we want to do things because we love him. The best way I can explain this is in earthly terms. When it comes to my relationship with my wife, I don't do things to earn her love. I do things because I love her. Like there's already been a commitment. And there's not anything that's going to break that commitment unless I choose to break that commitment. But I don't do things based on the fact that, ooh, you know, I need to do this because, you know, 25 years into this, I'm kind of hoping that she likes me. No, 25 years into this, it's one of those things that's like, if you don't know that, I mean, we've literally had this conversation. You know, if you don't know by now that I really love you, like, you either blind, deaf, or something's totally wrong, or all the above. Like, you don't get to this stage and question the love. But the flip side of that is, you know what I also do? I also want to make sure that I love her in such a way that she never has to question it. Like, I'm never going to stop dating her. I'm never going to stop pursuing her. I'm never going to stop, Amy, what do you want to do today? I don't care as long as I'm with you. She's like, okay, we're going to go shopping. I'm like, that's fine. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah. We're going to go to estate sales. We're going we're gonna to go plant the garden. Like, like, I don't care. We can do just about anything. I just want to be where you are. As long as we are in the same proximity where I can see you and you can see me, then that's my safe place. Like, that's where I want to be. That's all I want to do today. I don't care if it's cleaning a garage. I don't care if it's washing a car. I don't care if it's planting a garden. I don't care if it's playing golf. Little hint there, a little playing golf every once in a while is good. Or whatever it may be. The only thing that normally happens is Amy knows that whenever we're together, at some point, it's got to end around food. And as long as there's food some point in the day, I'm happy. And she's learned this. At some point, she'll be like, okay, honey, where would you like to eat? And I'm like, all of my sensory's going on. I'm like, oh, let me tell you. There's this little place in Ringgold, and I know it's only like, you know, 30, you know, you know it's like, it's, it's like that's, that's the way we laugh. We cut up. Why? Because we know each other. And so I don't do these things because I'm trying to earn her love. I do these things because we are in love. See, I think most people, they... They approach a relationship with Christ, and they think they need to do some things so that they can show Jesus that they love him. And Jesus is going, eh, I, I love you and you love me. I want you to do these things because we're in love, not because you're wanting to be loved. In fact, he, he says it this way, back to God's word, verse 22. He says, on that day, many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then verse 23, and then I will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. That, honestly, scares me to death. Because sometimes the only way I know that something's real is by what it does. And what he's saying is people could do things that seem godly, but yet not have a relationship with the Lord. In fact, I did a little bit more studying to go a little bit deeper. And I was trying to get this concept, and I realized why he was talking about this. Because there is going to come this antichrist, right? Who's going to show up. And you know how he deceives all the people? He does everything that Jesus did. The only difference is who was getting the glory for it. There are people that have a false confession. They may say with their mouths, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Lord, Lord, did I not do that? Lord, Lord, I did these things. And he's up there saying, listen, I'm not consumed with what you're doing. I'm consumed with what you're knowing. Do you know me? Let's chase a rabbit for a minute. Let's go back to earthly things. I think sometimes it's hard to grasp heavenly concepts, but if we put on an earthly term, we can kind of grasp them a little bit easier. In your personal life, not answering out loud, but in your personal life, how do you know when you know somebody? Like at what point do you say, okay, now I, I, we know each other. Like even the amazing relationship that we have in this room, there's a lot of levels of intimacy in this room. There's some people that I, that I know very well because we've spent time together. We continue to spend time together. There's a relationship that's there. Now don't mishear me, there's a relationship with everybody. But it's just, it's just deeper. There, there's some qualities that are there that helps us to know each other's better. Like if we spent time, and, and we'll probably do this again soon, to actually bring some people on stage and let you hear their story, you may be shocked at the stories that are sitting in this room. Not everybody sitting in this room grew up in this amazing, you know, white house with a picket fence with two dogs, and mom and dad were happily married, and they had 3.2 kids, and everything's been great, and we've never had, like there's a lot of stories here. There's stories in this room of people that have been delivered from addiction. There's stories in this room with people that have been delivered through different relationships and have found that Jesus will provide even when they feel like everything's crashing down. There's stories in here of God's faithfulness. There's stories in here of God's miraculous things in their life. There's so many stories in here. In fact, the greatest story is that all of us have a story. And it's a story of Jesus being in charge and how great he makes things when we allow him to be the Lord of our life. But the crutch of all of it is do you know him? In fact, if you pull up here, you'll notice there's four flags. It's our purpose. We want to be a life-giving church in our community. And we believe there's four steps to that. And the very first one is we want you to know God. Yes, we want you to find freedom. Yes, we want you to discover your purpose. Yes, we want you to go make a difference. But do you know what? You cannot have freedom, you'll not know your purpose, and you'll never make a difference if you don't first know God. 
And so it made me think through an amazing conversation that I had this week. As your pastor, I need to know. Like, I want to know that you know Jesus. I want to know that you know that there's been a time in your life that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You say, well, Mickey, what, what if I hadn't? Hey, it's okay. I didn't come to condemn. I just want to know where you are so that when I pray for you, that I can pray the right things over you. So that when we go through this life and we're doing different things and I'm watching you do these amazing things and serve on dream teams and do serve day and love people well, I don't want to get caught up in all the activities that we call church that we miss out on the intimacy that is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, well, Mickey, how are you going to find that out? Well, a minute ago I told you all to get a card, right? I need you to do me a favor. I need you to simply write your name. I don't need the date. I need you to write your name on that card. And if you know Without a shadow of a doubt, there's been a time in your life you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. On the bottom of that card, and you'll see mine, I just want you to write, I know. And in here in a minute, when we pass the buckets, I want you just to drop that in the bucket. You say, Mickey, why is that important? Because you are that important to me. I don't want to assume anything. You may tell you why this is a big deal to me. Because late in my teenage years, while I was serving on staff at First Baptist Church of Mount Juliet, in the student ministry, I went to a youth camp, and I was struggling so bad. And here's what I was struggling with. I knew that God had called me into ministry. I knew that I had accepted him as my Lord and Savior late in my teenage years. But I also knew that there was a false sense of salvation because everybody thought I'd accepted Christ when I was younger and was baptized. And the reality is, it wasn't right. And so there I was on staff with literally hundreds of students at this camp. And I mean, as much as I was talking to you right now in my spirit, God was like, either you're going to speak up or you're going to live a life of shame. Because there's nothing wrong with admitting that you're not where you need to be when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. And so I never forget, I, I was sitting around this little campfire. This is 1991. And I said, you know, I, I got to speak up here. I said, we actually have been going through all these different things, and I've been serving on staff and doing things as a youth intern, but I need you to know that, that I need to be baptized because I accepted Christ recently. And what you think was my life was not my life. And Satan's been dealing with doubt and struggles. And, and it was like Jesus was like, listen, I'm not worried about your past. I'm worried about your current day. Would you confess me as Lord today rather than being consumed with if something was real or not real when you were 9, 10 years old? Can I tell you the freedom that came that day? All of a sudden, I never had to worry again with what I was saying I know. Can I put it in a simpler terms? I say this a lot in growth track. When I read this scripture, here's what I realize. Jesus is more worried about your intimacy with him than he is your activity with him. He's more concerned with you knowing him than he is for you being busy and serving him. Don't mishear me. I think we serve him in amazing ways. 
But we serve him not because of, of we're wanting to love him. We serve him because he's, he's worthy to be served. In fact, this scripture brought up another question for me that was very simple. It said, those who do the will of my father. And my simple question was, well, okay, well, what's his will? Like, I'm a little bit more of a, like, to-the-point type person, like elementary, right? If not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one that does the will of my Father, let me know what that will is. Because I don't want to miss it. Like, I want to make sure that I know that I know where I'm going and that I have a relationship with Christ. And do you know there's two times, there's actually more than that, but two main times. One was the Shema in Deuteronomy. You want to know what the will of your father is? Let me tell you. Here's what God wants. Are you ready? I'm going to read. It's not going to be. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's his will. But listen, he doesn't stop there. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them on, as a sign on your hands, and they shall be on the frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, he's saying, you know what? I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul, and I want it to be a part of everything you do. When you go to sleep, I want you to be thinking about how much you love me. When you wake up, I want you to think about how much you love me. When you're talking to your kids, I want you to talk about how much you love me. When you talk, like everything you do. In fact, they would actually, you could still go over to Israel, and you would see Jewish children walking around, and they would have little boxes on their wrists strapped with leather, little boxes on their head, and in there would be little things that would remind them of the Shema and different things out of God's Torah, his law, for them to memorize his word so that they would understand just how great God is. But he didn't stop there. Because see, then in Matthew, after where we are, after the Sermon on the Mount, like right before the crucifixion, there was a lawyer that came to Jesus trying to trap him. He said, hey, rabbi, which means teacher, he said, what's the greatest commandment? You know what Jesus told him? He quoted the Shema. It's in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 40. He says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. See, when Jesus said, I came to, what? Fulfill the law, not to destroy it. He answers him with the Old Testament Shema, which was from the very beginning. God created you for a personal relationship. He says, hey, listen, I'm going to dwell with you in the garden. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. We're going to have an amazing life. Just do me one, there's just one no. Just don't eat of the fruit that's going to give you the knowledge of of good and evil. Everything else, we're we're jam up, man. You can do whatever you want to do. Plus, do me a favor, be fruitful and multiply because you're amazing and I want more people like you that was made in my image. So start populating this earth. But just don't eat of that tree. Now, they had the same issue that I have. There's a lot of times in life that I don't even think about doing the wrong thing until somebody tells me I can't. Have you ever gotten on the road and it says, do not, like the big sign, like no U-turn? And I'm like, but I got to turn around. Now, the appropriate thing is what? To go up to where it does not have a sign and, and to make a U-turn at that point. 
by a show of hands. How many people just turn around where you are? Thankfully. Now, all you other people, repent later on because you're liars. <laughs> you know, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times where I've not even thought about doing the wrong thing until somebody told me you can't do this. I'm like, now listen, why you got to tell me that? Like, I was not even thinking about jumping off of that until you told me that you can't jump off of that. Because I know there's water down there. And I like to jump off of stuff into water. Yeah, but you can't do it here. T tell me. Because last time I checked, I can jump off anything I want to jump off of. It, it, just like this. Well, here I go. It's not that I can't. It's that you don't want me to. Those are two different things. You'd done better if you say, hey, I'd rather you not jump off of this. I know you can, but I'd like for you to decide not to. My wife tells me on a regular basis, and I don't know if this is an encouragement or just the truth, and she said, some of the biggest things you struggle with is you, you don't think rules apply to you. I said, that's not true. <laughs> I said, I think that rules apply to me, just not all of them. <laughs> Why? Because I have the same issue that you have. I have this desire that I feel like if I don't do something, I'm going to miss out. Like, why do you not want me to do that? There's something good there, isn't there? That same heartbeat, that same, that same nature is what you battle on a regular basis. That's what they battled in the garden. They were like, you know what, we can do all that, you know what, but there's something we, I wonder why he doesn't want us to eat that. I bet there's something good if we eat that. Then comes this doggone serpent, right? He starts lying to him. And every day you deal with that, don't you? But listen, here's what he's talking about. Listen to me very carefully. He told Coach Tashima at him, he says, listen, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love God with all your heart, with all your might, and with all your soul. But then Jesus takes it to the next step. And then he says this. This is the great and first commandment. But then Jesus adds something to the Shema. This is the difference in the New Testament and the Old Testament. He said, and the second is like it. So he, he asked for one commandment, but he gave him two. He said, here's the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul first. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Listen to me today. I don't want you to live in a spirit of being misunderstood or misunderstanding. God desires, first and foremost, for you to love him. And then secondly, he wants you to love people. Like that is your purpose. That's what he wants in your life. But you know what's amazing? We want to run and love people without loving God first. Or we start loving God and he does something in our life and we start changing and we expect everybody to be where we are rather than where we were. And then we start kind of looking down at people and even though everybody was gracious to us and let us go on this journey, we don't let everybody else go on the journey. We just want to tell them, hey, you need to come where I am. Rather than being like, hey, you know, somebody gave you grace and let you go on the journey. How about you give them grace and let them go on the same journey? How about you just love them and love God? Like that is it. In fact, I don't mind telling you, I'm going to let a little bit of cat out of the bag. Why? Because I can. 
We are getting ready to do so much stuff over the next few months. In fact, this summer, the whole theme is called the Summer of Love. And we're going to have some amazing things that we're going to be doing. Why? Because we as a staff are consumed with connecting with you and helping you connect with each other. It is vitally important that as you build this relationship with Christ, that you also build relationships with other people and that you love people well. And you're going to see it starting next week with baptism. You're going to see it followed up with Mother's Day. You're going to see it followed up with Senior Sunday. You're going to see it. I mean, there are so many things coming up. We've got different connect things all through the summer. Haley, you'll have some stuff next week that you can start planning your calendar. But here's the point to all of this. We need you. I need you. Jesus wants you to not get lost in the shuffle and love him first. You know what scares me to death? Is that we could go through Easter, go through today. You could serve on dream teams. You could bring people to church. You could do all of these things. And at the end of the day, you sit there and go, yeah, but I, I, just, I just never knew. And I want you to know today you can know. See, you, you may have grabbed one of those cards. You're like, but, but Mickey, I, I didn't write I know. Because I'm not sure. Listen to me. Let me help you out. Quit trying to figure out if something that happened 10, 15, 20, 25 years, if it was real or not. Like I'm going to tell you from a biblical standpoint, listen to me. These, these are hard words to hear, but I need you to hear. It doesn't matter. God is more consumed with will you confess him today as Lord than whether or not at that hot dog dinner, at the children's revival, at that church where this revival is, if that was real. God's more consumed with the confession today that, Lord, whether that was real or not real, today I declare you the Lord of my life. I accept you as the Savior of the world. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.